A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Wizard. Welcome to episode 259 of Stars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and even Spotify, as well as right on your own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herlman. And with me, like the urge to cleanse the dark side, the doctor of timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane. I'm always up for cleansing the dark side. I uh, I got them on my, my shout spray. I will uh, get some elbow grease into that and scrub it out. Yes, they can't. And then put it in my pool in the backyard because that's apparently where you keep your dark side, is in the the neighboring the neighbor's lake. Right. <laughs> I like to take my bath in dirty water. <laughs> the darker the better. <laughs> oh, Jim, how have you been, man? Like, I, I I feel like we're farther apart this time around. Like, it's it's just a weird sensation. I feel so distant from you today. Um, well, the internet makes everything closer. So in, in my heart, you're, you're, you're right, you're right here. But yes, I, uh, I just moved. Uh, I'm in New York now. I am, uh, looking over one of the Finger Lakes from my, my, my office here. I can see out the back door to the, over the, one of the Finger Lakes. So, uh, I am, I, I am completely in a different climate zone. <laughs> it's apparently humidity is the thing. I didn't know this. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, when they say, but it's a dry heat, they really mean that because, uh, yeah, it's uh, just doing anything gets sopping wet and it's uh, kind of obnoxious. How, how are you doing? I, I know you've been having some medical issues lately. Uh, right. So how's, uh, how, how are you feeling? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the two of us really have had a few months like you, uh, you had the car wreck. Um, that was fun. Uh, then the move. Oh yes, it's so much fun. <laughs> it was. It, it's I. If for anybody who's interested in um, having a car accident, I highly recommend not doing that. <laughs> yeah, don't you just want to just sit around a little bit and heal? Like, and that's what I've been doing. Um, uh, my doctors, they think you know I, I might have Crohn's disease. I've been having a lot of uh, fun issues that they've been fixing and repairing. I had an abscess that, that got really bad. Um, and then from there, it just kept coming back and coming back to small surgeries. Later, I ended up on a third one that was a major, we're going in and we're going to do some serious cutting, cleansing and scraping. And they found polyps and they did biopsies. And in fact, since then, I, I've actually got word back that the polyps are okay. It was a uh, benign. I'm okay oh, in that good. regard. So like, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. There's some, some shiny, happy light there in the midst of all the, the chaos that had been going on. Definitely made me feel uh, my age. 
<laughs> Never before have I felt more 42 and closer to 50. <laughs> <I'm> like, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've had uh, I've had stomach issues all my life, and uh, they have mentioned Crohn's disease as a possibility, but I think they ruled it out when the medicine didn't do anything. Right. Well, and that's and that was what got me too with the last surgery. They're like, we're gonna go in again and we'll check again for Crohn's, but they're only going so far up into my intestines. And they're like, well, if you do have Crohn's, we're not going to mess with this because it'll, it'll heal real bad. Well, my, my boss has it, and hers was found from the esophagus side. Like, they did a couple tests before they finally found her and, and diagnosed her. And I'm like, so if, if, like, they end up coming from the top and then determining I do have it, then we've already done this surgery, and that could be, oh, God. So I'm just, like, hoping now that, like, maybe the Crohn's isn't the actual direction they're leaning because, like, now I'm like, we've already done some stuff and some work. And I'm like, this kid... Hopefully this won't get too bad. But yeah, so it's it's definitely been one of those things where I've had time, but I wasn't really in the mood to do much. So I, I did some reading, got a lot caught up on a lot of comics and stuff. I've uh, been reading The High Republic, getting caught up on the uh, review copies that got sent there, and doing a little Jim and uh, Nathan Butler timeline action when it comes to that. Because like, the timelines in the book, uh, in the Delray Press book, the... The, or the Delray book, the Disney press book, and then the comic books, both IDW and Marvel, all have their own kind of timelines that are very just, here's the era name and we're not going to give you anything else. So, you know, you kind of have to place where each event is falling kind of on your own. Like, they're definitely leaving it convoluted. So I, I've been... Figuring out, you know, which story lines up with which. And uh, when I got into the rising storm, you know, there's a lot of really fun and cool things happening. And then I got a race to Crash Point Tower, which seems to be set in the middle of one event in that one. But it also ties into characters from the comic. So then I go on and read the comic, but that comic's not finished. So I'm like, well, how do they get from the comic? into the? Uh, it's very convoluted. So, yeah, I did a lot of research in that regard, but I don't feel like I was successful. I think I got an F in timelining. Yeah, I haven't uh, started wave two of the books yet. I, um, I've i been trying to listen to the third Alphabet Squadron book, uh, the, the audio book of it. And it's, um, I think you had said that it was the best of the three. And it's definitely, it, it's, it's, it's much easier to listen to. Kind of, I'm more in the heads of the characters right, now. Right, right. And it's I'm understanding where he, the author was going with the characters a lot better. So it's not they're not as grating on me, but it's a long book. So it's um, I don't have as much uh, free time to sit and listen to it as I did before. Right. That, I, you know, I think the biggest missed opportunity with that trilogy and, and that book really set it home to me was they could have been touting this whole story, that whole story as Hera's. I mean, I think that it would yeah. have done a lot more in bringing people in, got more people interested. The third book definitely has her as one of the more core ensemble than she was in the other two. She was just kind of like the leader of. But if you come at it from that angle, like this whole trilogy is going to tell you what Hera's group of people have been doing. this whole time. Like, I, I think it definitely piques interest uh, a little bit more. But then if you advertise it like that and you read the first two books you kind of be like damn it mark you lied so just that third yeah, book she, really delivers on that promise <laughs> yeah i don't even think she was in the first book it may be mentioned but yeah. i don't think she was there the second book she was in and out because she was bouncing between this and squadrons yep. the game yep. and then this one she's practically a main character mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I really like the second one. They started to play up on it because you really got the feel that like you know Soren and her were kind of like analogs of each other from the good and the bad perspective. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, a lot of good stuff going on. But that has been why uh, Beyond the Films has been kind of on a micro hiatus. I mean. I feel like we've still managed to put an episode out each month, but we may have had one slip or we got really close to like being out. But we're back. We're in the saddle and we are recording. Yeah, we had planned on doing a couple of recordings. This specific recording we had planned on doing before I moved, but with my accident completely threw everything, all my plans into disarray. Like I had tons of plans that I wasn't able to do anything. And um, I'm mostly fully healed now, so it's a that that's that's all right. But uh, yeah, I still haven't been paid for my tin can of a truck. Oh. Um, yeah, that's that's fun. But um, we actually recorded this last week, mm-hmm. and technical issues are prompting us to start over. <laughs> right, we almost cobbled it together. We were definitely thinking about it. You know, we were trying. We had the scotch tape out, and then yeah, it's uh, just it started to fall apart. Even like even with the scotch tape, right? I, I I liken it to the level of disappointment you must have had when you walked into your backyard and realized you had to mow it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you don't know, Jim has has not only moved to the Finger Lakes, he's also bought half a Naboo. <laughs> Yeah, I have uh, I have sixty acres. Um, only twenty of which are uh, mowable. I guess the others are forest. Oh, um, or at least not not accessible forest, like uh, not accessible land. So I have about twenty or so acres that uh, need to be mowed. I've mowed ugh, probably a sixth of it so far. Well, dude, you you brought your A game. I was like, I, I saw the pictures of you guys with the hand mower, and I'm like, oh my god. And then you bring in that tractor device. I'm like, damn, Jim's just like throwing money and problems over here. Like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> uh, that's a, That was one of the, the things. Like, we knew we needed a tractor. Um, but the supply lines are atrocious right now. And so getting a tractor is really difficult. Just like when I had my accident, getting a new truck was really difficult. And so we uh, we ended up getting a tractor that actually we turned out we got one a lot faster than we were planning on. The uh, John Deere people were telling us not till the August, mm. end of August. Dang. We're like, uh, yeah, I don't think we can wait that long to mow our lawn. <laughs> and so I did buy a little push mower kind of as just around the house because even the tractor's not going to be able to mow um, up right up against the house. Right. So we got a push mower and a weed whacker just for around the house and then... The tractor for the um, larger, basically, it's like a wheat field, or it used to be a wheat field at one point oh. that uh, um, extends off, and then we have more of a finished lawn closer to the house. Only it's only about an acre and a quarter of finished lawn. Oh, no. well, that's not so bad, and and a forest, so you can make your own campground. It's like, oh. Yes, definitely. Once we can reach the forest through the the the. the five foot high wheat um we will we will see what's out there (laughs) more than ticks (laughs) yes Here at 
stars beyond the films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we look at the saga of Naomi Sunrise by Tom Vetch. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. And you know how we do. We're going to ask those questions. Was it good? Was it accessible? How was the art? And, of course, could it be adopted into canon? Which we'll come back around to in our spoiler section to get to the real nitty-gritty. So with that, Jim, let's get spoiler-free. So just uh, giving a basic overview of what this comic is and where it kind of fits into place. This is the third through the fifth issues of the Tales of the Jedi comic. So the first two issues were the Beast Riders of Onderon, and then we jump into the saga of Nomi Sunrider, which almost has nothing to do with the first two issues. Like, literally, you can start reading at this issue and you will have lost nothing. Um, There's one brief appearance from a character of those two issues and one brief um, uh, mention of what's kind of going on there that actually lead into the next comic series. But essentially these three issues are their own storyline and it's set according to the omnibus. And I believe the comics also had this, this date uh, set 3,999 years before the battle of Yavin, which is one year after the first two issues and then a thousand years after the um, Golden Age of the Sith and the Fall of the Sith Empire, which were um, later comic series that were kind of prequels to this series. And eventually, this, the Beast Riders of Onderon and the Saga of Nomi Sunrider, these five issues were collected together in what was called the Tales of the Jedi, Knights of the Old Republic. And that's where that name, Knights of the Old Republic, was first um, used which eventually got used in the video game and then the sequel, and then pretty much the whole era really um, started to be called the Knights of the Old Republic era. And we're still, what, about 300 years before the KOTOR game and the comics itself, right? A give or take? Oh, I'd have to look that up. That sounds about right, if you give me, like... Because mm-hmm. I always felt like it was, like, around 3,000 to... 3,500 or something like that. Like, At least the game, I think, was set in that era. So I know the game, the comic series, Knights of the Old Republic, runs up before the game, and then there's a little bit of a gap between that and the game because uh, Revan appears in the comic series as kind of his, old, his Jedi self before he becomes um, part of the comic series. So that is set... Um, 3962 Ooh. is when the end of the, the comic series hits. So this is a lot closer than I thought. It is. It is. It is. Uh, it only looks like 50 years. Wow. Um, yeah, it's about 50 years. Nice of the Old Republic is set 3956. So mm. you're looking at less than 50 years later. Um, so even I think all of the Tales, Tales of the Jedi comic series is... Um, even through redemption, yeah, redemption is only it, it thirty nine eighty six, which redemption's the last of the tales of the Jedi series, right? So that so that is only twenty years before Knights of the Old Republic comic series starts. Yeah, you definitely get the sense that uh, the Beast Rider arc 
was like chapter one of a book. And this is like chapter two. You know, you get that shift over to the other characters, the core group that eventually these characters and those characters are going to run in. We do get, as you said, the tie in of one of those characters kind of coming across in the narrative here expressing that as we start to push that direction. But by the time you get to, like you said, uh, redemption there at the very end, like you come full circle. Like there's so much going on that like, this really is a, a very interesting and fun start to this type of an era. You know, you go back and you've got that old style of stuff. And, and I think that the art style in the first couple issues, like, well, it's not my favorite. It definitely does give that, older feeling to the way things are drawn and the way things look inside the universe. So you get that feel and everything is fresh. And I, 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 I like that we are touching on this at the time we're touching on this because I'm getting a lot of the same high Republic vibes, you know, like, like there's a lot of things that are kind of happening in this era that are happening in that. And the time frame is totally different. You know, we're like 3000 years away from episode one versus 200 years in the canon. But in both of these, like, there are beacons for hyperspace travel. Uh, there are beacons in, in the canon for uh, people to come to and, and kind of light the way. Uh, you know, things like that. And, and I just, I enjoy going back to an era where we know nothing about it and then kind of just discovering things. Um, one of the things that, that leapt out to me, which is like a driving plot point in this, is the, uh, is it, how do we say it? The Ag- Agadon Crystals? A- Adagon Crystals? Uh, Adigan, yeah, um, sounds good. Right, we'll go with that. And one. and as we mentioned when we were recording this the first time in canon, as of right now, Kyber is the only official lightsaber crystal used by the Order of Jedi Knights. Uh, whereas in canon, that wasn't the case. It was like you know, dang near anything that was crystal slash glass <laughs> could be used. Yeah, the, like I would be, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think they ever did this, but I wouldn't be surprised if like you had Luke constructing a lightsaber with like a pieces of broken glass from a window. Like, <laughs> like Kenobi's hut. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this will work. Like, um, okay. So we're just using anything now. Like piece of rock. Let's <laughs> stick a rock in there. Maybe that'll work as a crystal. Right. Uh, you know, and again, with the art, there's some really cool throwbacks and tie-ins to, like, McCory's art style, um, the way the lightsabers are projected, the way that they flow, that kind of stuff, which, which ties into the old technology that is slowly being phased out. Um, so I, I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. The characters... I can't say that they're strong characters. They definitely go through a lot of growth. So I feel like with this one, like, it's not the strongest for the characters, but it's definitely a very impactful event that happens. that pushes Nami, especially forward, but it, the whole time that Nami's going forward. So is Vima. Like, I, I feel like Vima is a blink and you'll miss it. Padawan. <laughs> I mean, Thawne will say at one point, you know, yeah, she's also training. And I think that like, that was my wake up bell to it. And then when I read it again and again, I was just like, you know, she's getting the most out of this. Like, because everywhere that Nami goes, Vima is there. And the main difference that I notice when I'm reading the comic is like, Vima doesn't have the same insecurities, doubts, and fears that her mom has. Her mom is very passive, and her mom is very fearful of the Force and the lightsaber, especially after how she ends up getting Toothon. Um, 
and I don't I don't know how much of that we really want to go into in the spoiler free part. I mean, it's an old comic, so I'm like, you know, most of this information is out there. But if you haven't read it, I don't know if I want to spoil that for you. Yeah, the um, what you're saying, jumping back a little bit to the art style, and the art style is very of its time. Um, early 90s, this was the second comic series really released by Dark Horse. You had uh, Dark Empire first, and then the Tales of the Jedi series was immediately what they came up with next. So you have these early 90s uh, um, art style, which is reminiscent of, like, you think of the Mar- old Marvel 80s comics, and this is like a cleaned up version of those, <laughs> that art style. Like if you were able to do that art style, but with better lines and clear, clearer uh, figure um, representations and stuff. And so it, it looks a little cleaner, but it definitely doesn't get to the points that we see in like the later 90s and early 2000s where um, artists kind of go a little more artsy uh, with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the um, the characters themselves. I don't like Nomi here. I don't think she's a good representation. I feel like she is uh, essentially a housewife, and she's being relegated to a housewife. And although the um, text keeps saying that this is her own decision to be the housewife, you don't get like the way that the story plays out. It's not. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like they are. The, the 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 man needs to be the Jedi, the woman needs to stay home and take care of the child, and that is the way it's kind of set up, and then she's a, the reluctant hero. And it feels like they kind of relegated her to the housewife and kind of tried to write her out of that role um, through, through the exposition of the story. And so I, I feel like she, her story itself kind of gets a disservice, but... There's also a little disconnect from what we get in the original trilogy, what we learned to be truth from the prequel trilogy and what this rolled with, um, you know, in the seat, in the, the original trilogy, Yoda flat out tells Obi-Wan and Luke, you know, you're too old, you're too old to begin the training. And yet in this, we find, you know, she's an adult with a kid. Her husband's an adult. He's already been training and he's going to Thom to get like the next level, right? Like he's going to take his training to the deep zone. He's going out to the deep waters with the crazy ass master on the, the weird dark probably, side planet. <laughs> they probably actually took that from the Luke story where Luke got trained by Obi-Wan and then went to the higher master Yoda, regardless of plot points or why that happened. That's kind of what it feels like he's upgrading to a new master right and and all throughout this comic thom and all the other people that kind of run into nami are all like you're going to be great someday you're going to be great so it, it puts out there that you know you don't have to be young to come and train as a jedi you can be in your 30s or, or god you know maybe even 40s i they don't really show us how old she really is when she had a, all we know is she's got a kid that could be three to nine <laughs> like it's it's very vague there so but it, it definitely lures you into this false sense of anyone can be a jedi and anyone can be great and then we find out like no that's not necessarily the case nami is more one of those exceptions to the rule kind of like how luke was in fact luke is probably less of an exception to the rule than her because Luke, at least, is the son of the chosen one. You know, his midichlorine count is off the charts. He's got a destiny. I mean, you know, there's, there's not a lot known about Nami. I mean, 
now granted we're in legends here so i mean i've i've always kind of thought you know well what if shmi skywalker was you know like came from zane carrick's line or something you know i mean like we never did tie the skywalkers back past shmi um and i always thought it would be kind of cool to find out like what if you know, uh, Shmi was a Carrick, you know, that, that Zane is Luke's ancestor. Like, I always would have thought that would have been really cool. I mean, there are two thoughts on that. Like, either you enjoy the universe of the galaxy far, far away being a little smaller and interconnected, or you absolutely loathe the fact that, oh, yes, everybody's tied to the Skywalker family. Like, and I get the arguments. I'm one that I just, I like those connections. I think it makes, I, I feel like those connections are the work of the Force through narrative. <laughs> Yeah, I would 100% not be surprised if Nomi was an ancestor of Luke and um, Shmi, for that matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it seems like something that they would do. Yeah. The the one thing I, I did notice that between uh, the issues and stuff was not just the art style, but the hairline of Nomi. I think it, <laughs> it, it definitely points out that when we get to the shift in art style, that it is also a time jump. Um, it's nowhere in the narrative that we've had a time jump, but it does make well, the it most says, sense. It does say in the narrative that several months have passed. Mm, yes, months, months, which could be years. Because yeah, yeah. Star Wars months are, or Star Wars years are a lot more than just 12 months, I think, still, right? In Legends? Uh, in Legends, well, in Legends, it was... Um, Originally, it was 10 months for a year to kind of make it a metric system. And then they converted, even in Legends, they converted that to um, the 12-month system to make more kind of sense for us. <laughs> like, it's kind of hard to think of a 10-month system. Um, and so they, they converted it, and then all of those West End games that had the, the months and days, they just didn't illustrate months 11 and 12 in any of those. Aha. Uh-huh. All right, well, hitting on the points, uh, was it accessible? I think, yes. Um, the time frame of this is easy enough. You know, all the characters are kind of fresh. If you hadn't read the Beast War stuff, like, like Jim said, you don't need to. Um, you're going to find out who this character that shows up, who he is, and how he fits into things. And when we get into the next issue, we'll find out how it ties back into that. And if you hadn't read that, uh, it will kind of fill you in on what you need to know. Um could it be adopted into canon? That one, I think, is an easy yes. I don't think you have to, but I think you could. Um, you could leave it in this time frame in canon since uh, the High Republic is only 200 years in the past, and this is so much farther back. Um, and I don't think it would impact anything. There's, there's not much going on. I think the biggest, whoa, you can't do that, would be the Kyber Crystal not being a kyber crystal and it being the uh, Adigan crystals. Like, I think that's the biggest change up <laughs> if you were going to shift this over. Yeah, I'd say, um, is it accessible? Like, I can imagine people picking up issue three of this comic series and starting reading it and going, what did I miss? Because it seems like it's the beginning of the story. And like, like literally who would pick up issue three and start reading from there? But I'm sure people do. And it's completely a new story there are no tiebacks it is as accessible as you can make a comic series um just as accessible as issues uh, issue one of this series Mm -hmm. and so yes it's accessible should it be brought over i yeah we'll talk about that later but could it be brought over 
Um, yeah, it doesn't impact anything. Like, there is no impact outside of this story. It is kind of a self-contained thing. It has almost no talk about the Sith. It is just a Jedi and her master. Um, really, I, besides the Attigan crystals, the biggest conflict is the marriage and the child, which we had been told from the prequels that marriage and children are a big no-no. Um, even though in legends that like you had Kiati Mundi and stuff like that. So that's 4,000 years. Maybe they learned their lesson with maybe we shouldn't allow Jedi to have children. Right. And the only other thing would be the force ghost uh, of Andor himself. Oh, yeah. I mean, even new Jedi order had characters that passed away that became force ghosts because we didn't know. We didn't know that this was going to be Qui-Gon Jinn's claim to fame. And that, that only through Qui-Gon could certain Jedi make it to the, uh, to the netherworld of the force properly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did find it funny. Um, that he immediately turns into a force ghost. Like even Obi-Wan took like a few years between um, being able to project himself as a force ghost versus just like Luke hearing his voice in his, like in his head, essentially mm-hmm. here. It's like he dies and immediately she like looks to her right and goes, Hey, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I can you imagine a new hope. Like when Obi-Wan gets struck down, Luke's like, no, Luke, over here, move your butt. <laughs> <laughs> no, Luke, come here. It's, it's No, over here. He's clearly walking towards you. What are you doing? <laughs> Luke on the X-Wing as he's going down the trench run. He starts to put the targeting computer up. All of a sudden, Kenobi reaches from the back. Turn turn that off. You're not going to need that. <laughs> he literally like reaches forward and lifts it back up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so when it comes to, was it any good? Uh, you know, I'm kind of conflicted cause like it, it, it's, it's almost middling. Like the overall story of the entire arc for tales of the Jedi. I think, yeah, that's really good. This one being the introduction to Nomi is more like, I, I almost feel like this one is, isn't even really needed. Like almost everything that happens in this, you could probably do with one good narrative bubble when you introduce her character. Um, but that said, there's not anything really bad, bad with it. So I, I'm going to probably give it a solid, like five, like it's right in the middle ground. It's, it's decent enough that, you know, you can get in there and kind of get an idea of certain things. Um, there is some cool little aspects of force philosophy. Um, Thom gives some, some information about some of the dark side and how it's at play and stuff like that, that I think is kind of cool. But outside of that, there's not a lot going on here. It's just a setup for Naomi's character to do more important things down the road. And while all that's going on, if you think of redemption, you know, Vima is once again, just she's there, but we, the reader just kind of forget that she's there. She will have a hand in things like, but right now she's just a, a, a tag along. Yeah, definitely, like, she seems like an afterthought almost in the story, but, like, they never drop her. It's like they always, like, carry her along. So clearly, like, she has a place in the story. Vima, I'm talking about, as the Nomi's kid. And, um, yeah, she's probably the most interesting aspect of this story because she is just kind of being dragged along uh, behind Nomi's arc. And is it good? I'm 100% on board with what you were saying it's it's not that it's bad it's just that it's unimportant Mm -hmm. 
like, yeah, it gives you Nomi's background, but it's kind of doesn't have any impact to the greater Jedi Sith um, arc that we kind of got started in the Beast Wars and will continue after this. So we know it'll continue after it. They even mention it in this story that the, of what's coming up. And so it's like this offside tangent that shows you Nomi's startings, but it's not really all that interesting either. <clears throat> right. And and you think about the fact that like when you watch mother and daughter throughout this, Nomi's scared of everything. Whereas her daughter is just kind of, she's playing with the lizards on the ground. She's not afraid of the dark side lake. Like she's getting to know everything and is interacting with everything. And like, I would say in some ways her training is definitely more hands on than her mom. Like her mom is just kind of like, doubtful of everything and hesitant of everything. Whereas Vima is just, she's just there. She's just there and doing it, man. Like, like I, I honestly, I think like based on that alone, I would think Vima in the long run is probably going to be the more powerful one. But as we learn due to an attack on Vima, Naomi, Naomi has a very special ability that is more on the rarer side. Um, she's got that Jedi battle meditation. Although when it first manifests, it's not necessarily the way we see it. Although it's described in that fashion, it seems more like a very strong force persuasion. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, eventually it's, it's an ability that's so big. It can affect an event, not just one or a series of people, but like an entire battle. She can shift things. But as of right now, we only know that through narration. Um, the actual use of the ability is just, it, it looks like it's just a, a, a really strong, these are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah, I can see that. So overall, my my rating of the comic, I would say, um, I don't know if I talked about how I rate. Basically, I started off with seven as your default score. You can go up or you can go down from a seven. Any Star Wars book starts at a seven. If it's kind of in the middle, middling round and didn't really impress me or anger me, I'd, you'd get a seven. This probably I'm leaning towards like a 5.5 5, uh, because it it did just feel like such a waste of an issue. So a waste of an arc. Like I, 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 this is probably the weakest one out of the whole Tales of the Jedi. I, I don't remember. Um, I remember loving Tales of the Jedi, so I'm expecting this to get better. Um, but coming back, and I'm like, why Why is this so pointless? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, we sound bummed, but we're pretty excited, because we're going into spoiler territory. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph, I think you overestimate their chances. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages. Because here we go, on another adventure, Beyond the Films. Alright, so we're introduced to Nomi uh, as um, her husband is leaving to go up the train with Master Thumb. She's holding Vima in her arms. Uh, clearly a child of not more than two, I'd say maybe 18 months. Is it that's that as a father of three children? Is that, uh, uh I mean, about your guess? This will come it, it up later. So, on, on <laughs> why I'm bringing it up. Big she is. I mean, I could, I would say she might be three at the most at this 
point. But she could be a short three. But yeah, she definitely is in the toddler infant side of toddler. <laughs> yeah, and so that this will come up again. But they are traveling with Adigan crystals to give to Master Thom Thon as a as a gift for training. Um, gift, oh, gift, you say? Ander. Bribe, says I. <laughs> <laughs> Please accept me as a student, O oh, wise and merciful master. I give you um, these trinkets of uh, lightsaber quality. And this is where they tell us, you know, that, that Nami is a force sensitive. I can feel the crystal's power, Andor. So can little Vima. I mean, so she's able to feel the crystal's power but she's also able to feel her daughter feel the crystal's power. I mean, that was, that was pretty impressive, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Actually, does her daughter say anything? In no. In the entire three issues? Like, I, yeah. Not, not in this one. She, if she does, I think she, like, says, like, one word. <laughs> like, I don't think she says nothing, man. Yeah. Um, and so they go off to, they, they stop over in a space station because apparently nobody knows where Master Thawne is. Um. Yeah, and so he stops over a space station to, uh, what was it? Um, basically to cross over between jumps. It was kind right. of a hyperspace beacon, like a refueling. And this is and this is what totally reminded me of uh, the High Republic here, because you know, as it says in the narrative, before the development of hyperspace travel, star systems lived in great isolation from one another. Millions of civilizations rose and fell without ever learning of each other's existence. In that far gone time, hyperspace travel was only a theory in the minds of a few advanced thinkers. Then, about 20,000 years before Andor and Nomi's day, fast Faster than light drives were invented. Overnight, a great dimension outside ordinary time and space was opened to anyone willing to take the dangerous leap into the unknown. Those ancient explorers of hyperspace erected beacons between the stars at the jump coordinates that were known to be safe and reliable. Dun, dun, yes. dun. And that's the, the station that they show up on. But what's cool is, like, the beacon in this drawing looks very, very reminiscent to Starlight uh, Beacon. Star- yeah, you're right. Like, the does. big difference is, is that at the top of this, it just comes to, like, a cap, whereas Starlight Beacon is lit up like a lightsaber. It's like it's got some kind of, like, a crystal tower on the top or something. But definitely maybe an homage to this one. But they, they land on it, and basically it's kind of what you would think of like a, a train station sort of thing. Like they can get food, they can relax before they are traveling on. So they they stop, and they are carrying around their Adigan crystals. I don't know why. Oh, they mentioned that they had Adigan crystals. And so these bunch of nefarious, no-good do, no doers um, decide that they need to try and steal the Attigan crystals after talking to their boss, the hut. Um, was it Bongo or Boga? I can never remember. I think it's name. Boga. Yeah. Boga, the hut. And um, so basically Boga sends these, his um, henchmen to try and grab the crystals. And clearly one of the henchmen is used to dealing with Jedi because he distracts the Jedi enough to poison him with a script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Scritch, time to load your poison sacks. Get them! They say a Jedi can sense a clandestine attack through the Force, but sometimes a Jedi has not completed his training. 
Sometimes a Jedi makes foolish mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes can cost a Jedi his life. Endor! Endor! Sometimes a Jedi can be um, distracted by shiny trinkets. <laughs> this is where, for me, the art in this first couple issues was really bad. Like, it had that ancient feel to it, but the look on her, like, yeah, she's got that weird hairdo where, like, apparently male pattern balding is a thing and you leave two tufts of hair on the side of your temples. But with the hood over that, it just makes her look like she's more bald and, like... The expression of panic and terror on her face. I, I get more of a, a Witches of Eastwick kind of vibe from her in this. And this is when the Force Ghost shows up and things get really weird, too. Because you're like, oh, we do have a moment where Vima says something. Daddy! Yeah, I noticed that. I was going to bring that up, too. And I'm like, oh, she does say a word. <laughs> uh, Nomi Sunrider does not hear the threat of the gangsters as the spirit form of her husband speaks to her from the luminous beyond. Don't weep for me, Nomi. This is not the time for tears. Take my lightsaber. Use it to protect yourself. The force is with you. And the narration of this is like, it's all special glowy, like his body and stuff. And this is where she has her moment. Like, th And this moment defines her on many levels. Like, It defines her as both a great Jedi, but it also defines her as the big hurdle that she has to get over. Like, This moment traumatized her so much, more of Andor's death, and I feel like the trauma of that death she put onto the lightsaber, because from here on out, she doesn't want to touch a lightsaber. I mean, she strikes down some of the guys and stuff. And, but what's interesting, too, is like, like we mentioned in the, the pre-spoiler section, the lightsabers have that Macquarie feel. Like, they're flowing. It, it almost feels like, like when you're, you know, teenage post-adolescent and you're messing with mushrooms and acid and you go into a room with black <laughs> lights and you're flipping one of those glow sticks around in a figure eight and all of a sudden it looks like a giant eight and oh, don't do drugs kids just just stay away take my word for it. it it's a thing but i get that vibe like the lightsaber is not the same as we had before right yeah definitely like even the coloring of it is weird because they have like when you look at the lightsabers typically they have a solid core of the bright light and then the like if a blue lightsaber would have like a halo of blue around that solid core or red or green or something like that here you that solid core is only within that small bubble like on the the macquarie kind of has that bubble right above the hilt and then a lot of that rest of the lightsaber is almost like gas, like a gas blade as opposed to an actual strong lightsaber. And so that's what you're, you're mentioning is kind of it's less a solid thing and more of this kind of ethereal um, manifestation of a, a lightsaber in, in a vision sort of thing. Right. And we're still kind in of that step of, of evolving the lightsaber because... In the last issues of the Beast Wars and stuff, we were still watching characters that had their lightsabers clipped to the battery packs, right? And uh, we went from every lightsaber having a battery pack to some of them not having it and they having this style. So there's a technological advancement going on through these that's not touched on in the narrative at all. It's just if you're paying attention kind of thing. Did the Beast Wars have the battery click? I thought just the um, Golden Age of the Sith had the battery pack. You're right. You're, you're right. I, well, I want to say that there was one character in one of the battles that 
did have it, but he was in the background, and I don't think it was actually ever lit up. So, like, you know, it's one of those things. Like, you could say maybe he had it, and maybe that was like an early vibro sword or something. But you're right, you're right. It was the golden age of the Sith that really pushed that, and that that was a little farther back. Yeah, and so Andor died, and his Force Ghost told him or told Nomi. Go to Master Thon. Take my gift to him, Bribe. He will show you the direction your life must take now. Except she doesn't know where he lives. And so she gets in the ship and like, we need to use the force to try to figure out where we're going. I'm like, oh, that's great. So someone who has never or rarely ever used the force, doesn't know how to use it well, is going to pilot a starship through the um, infancy of hyperspace to find a planet that she doesn't know where it is. Awesome. Right. This is like a Ray moment, right? They're like, we're going to give her a lot of cool powers so you can understand that she's going to be a great Jedi. But the problem is, is it creates issues with the plot. Like, you know, if she doesn't know how to get there, then how do we later find the pirates tracking her? Did they put a tracker on her ship? Did they run to her ship the second Andor died to put a tracker on it? Because they realized, hey, this this lady that just picked up his sword is even more badass than him. Like, like they don't really explain that, so it doesn't make sense. And then his force goes showing up the second time, also after the second time that little Vima says, Mama? So she talked twice at least. Uh, she's Naomi's over him. Andrew, Andrew, they've killed you. Like, yeah, she's Captain Obvious. And then he shows up a second time and I think this is probably the dumbest thing that they could have had him do. He shows up and right before what, what you had mentioned, know me, hear me. It is I, your husband. Like, like she doesn't know that that's you. Like, you don't look different. You just have an aura around you, bro. You're not that. <laughs> Our life together is finished, know me. You think? Like, she's only over there saying that you, you were killed. It is your time to turn your face to the unknown. Like, I, I felt like this one panel and, and her moving away from the station is where things kind of went off the, the rails in the terms of logic. Like, they could have put a panel with one of the pirates putting a tracker on there going, we'll get him at the next stop kind of thing. And I think that that would have served more to calm my logic circuits because I'm like, something does not compute. Yeah, like, without the tracker. So basically, she then lands on Master Thon's planet and goes um, about wandering the planet, looking for Master Thon. Meanwhile, the Hut and his gang have real stick up their butt and must find these Edigan crystals because I, they can't be that valuable that this Hut has now dedicated his entire life to obtaining them. But that is apparently what we're going with. Right. This and is like the Disney equivalent of the, of the black lightsaber crystal. <laughs> yeah. And so he must, he must track these down. And so he, follows them to this planet but you're right with no um with no tracking device they eventually have they apparently have um conceived of the hyperspace tracking before we ever saw it in the um the last jedi uh, because that's really what they did is they tracked her through hyperspace because it even says meanwhile the hut and his henchmen have followed the light side explorer hoping to get another chance at the treasure but done, no, done, done. Yeah, no explanation on how they actually got there. One plot but. that I wish they would have played up more is the voices of the Force. Um, when she first gets there, she starts setting off. She's got Vima with her in a little travel pack. Vima's sleeping. It says, passing a steaming lake, 
She hears voices, voices that tell her to turn back before it's too late. Something awful lies ahead, says the voices. You will regret everything if you continue. But there is another voice, not the voice of her husband, but a voice like silence, a voice within. Do not listen to the power of the dark side, it says. And I've always, I've always been intrigued by the idea that the will of the force and, you know, the, the idea that the force was one and yet that the force has got a light and a dark side and the two are battling each other. And when you get to narratives like this, it definitely feels like the light and the dark are definitely speaking to a person and they're both whispering. You know, it's like the angels on your arm, you know, kind of thing. Like one's telling you all the things to fear and the other one's like, it's all OK. He's just a bad guy. He's just trying to trick you. Yeah, and, and they're both fully aware of what the other one's saying. Right. But. And yet... Only in these type of text bubbles do we ever really play with that. Like, I think the closest we ever got to something like that was when Verger messes with Jason Solo and tells him there is no dark side. Although when she did that, I always felt like it was to kind of break him from not choosing to do things. Like, he was so worried he was going to choose the dark side that he had crippled himself. And she was like, look, dude, there is no dark side. The force is just the force. And then people come and they corrupt the force. So what you see of the dark side is something that man has done and it's not its natural state. Like, by the time she was done with everything, she got him to act and make choices again. But she also had him realizing, yeah, there is a dark side. You still have to be aware of it, but you can't be crippled by it. Whereas, like, with this, it's like, dude, there's definitely two different forces at work here. And they never really play with that dynamic very much. Like, I would almost like to see canon give us force gods, you know, one that resembles the light side and one that embodies the dark. (laughs) More than the, the brother and sister, anyway. Yeah, I'm like the the, the Mortis uh, storyline kind of kind of played with that, but you're right. They that whole dark side of this planet is almost ignored. It's mentioned a few times that Thon had driven the dark side away from this planet. That was the whole point. He was here and decided that he needed to stay here to contain it, and he drove it into this lake. But we never find out what that dark side was, anything about it, other than. It was some manifestation of the dark side. And so they kind of dropped that or maybe they were leaving it for a future story. It could have been a future story. I I don't remember this ever coming up again, but um, it seems like one of those that another author would have gone, you know, that would make an interesting story. Right. And then we get probably the weakest part of this whole arc. Uh, The hut shows up again. Only this time he's sporting basically everything Jabba from the look of his face down to his vehicles and modes of transportation. It's like it's like clearly Jabba had a a mad respect or idolization of Borga and was like, I'm just going to take everything he ever had and use it like the sail barge is 100 percent identical. I find that absolutely hilarious. And then the slave outfits um, or the, that the that the women are forced to wear are identical. Um, it, it's, yeah, t- a totally uh, Borga idolization or either that or huts have no concept of um, technological evolution. Mm-hmm. I would say the fact that he is here on the barge at this moment um you know, we had talked about it when we had recorded the first time and we lost that recording that he had some of these 
uh, dragon lizard things from this planet. I would say this is probably when he picked one up because when the pirates come back later, he's not with them. For some reason, he was at the station with them and he was at this planet with them. But from there on out, he doesn't need the Attigan crystals that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he has henchmen. And so we have Nomi looking around the planet, and she comes across this, I swear he looks like a Grecan statue with the snakes for hair um, guy who is riding on the back of this beast, which you kind of equated as a cross between a rhinoceros and a triceratops, which is probably (laughs) the best best representation of it. Um, And she... I don't know if she ever calls him Master Thon, but we all are assuming he is Master Thon. Right. Yeah, it's it's not until after Thrawn re- actually reveals himself that we find out. The narrative touches on it. So at that moment, far across the Ambrian Wastes, a Jedi Knight sets bef- uh, a Jedi Knight sets food before his bestial companion, and hears the terrible tale of his guest. So like, it's not that the beast is you know his pet. It's not his ride. It's his companion. So, you know, like what, what you don't realize is, again, we're taken from Luke's story here and the Jedi master that's going to take your training to the next level doesn't look like a traditional Jedi. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, my, my favorite part of the whole thing is when um, the the knight get a name for him i don't even remember we do i've been looking for it's like or it's like or something or other yeah so he because most of the time it just says a jedi knight yeah um and so he is setting food on the floor for his bestial companion which is absolutely hilarious when you find out that this is the um master whom we are looking for is being fed on the floor like the dog (laughs) <laughs> like not at a table, not anything dignified. Nope, he's eating out a bowl on the floor, on and, his mat of, of stra- straw. And even later, you find out like he can do things like a human. Like he'll sit up, he'll actually use his hands. But right now, they're really playing up that he doesn't. That he's just uh, you know a total beast of burden. <laughs> yep. So. Um, at this point when she is first meeting all them and eating in their hut is when the huts, uh, the hut gang, I guess, um, shows up to the, the house of the knight and master Thawne. Oh, and you know what? I just noticed in this while the huts sitting there going, not Jakula will feast on Stagami tonight. They're dragging one of the beasts in that they've killed, so clearly they're they're definitely doing hunting and capturing at that time. So yeah, I I missed that. That that's they definitely I, got those creatures from this planet. Yeah, well that's that's one of the beasts from their farm, right? Like they says stagamit. So that's not yeah, that's not the dragon that we see um, later, but that's uh, yeah, it was one of those things that. Uh, I, I noticed that as well, wondering if that was the dragon, mm-hmm. but it, it had to have come from this this time. And we're playing with the, the words, too, when the Jedi comes out. Hutworm, haven't you got enough evil wealth? Do you have to steal my herd, too? Like, so you're like, oh, yeah, okay, it's his. Like, And then he goes at it, and he does his thing, knocks him down, whips him. And then, of course, you know, 
he starts to get his butt kicked because, you know, the Jedi of this era aren't as badass as we think they are. But that's when the Jedi's beast friend is not about to stand and watch him die. And he comes charging. At this point, like when Andor died and his Force Ghost had the special bubbles, the, the Force Bubble of Thawne here is similar in that regard where it's got its own special bordering. Unlike Andor's, which is like matching his Force Ghost, this one's more like jagged, kind of almost like the way the Sith talked in the Golden Age of the Sith. And his is, it's all in his actual native. It's like... <laughs> And at this point, that's all he's saying, because we don't know he's more than a beast. But once we do learn he's more than a beast, the narration will start to translate those speech bubbles. And then at one point, the speech bubbles themselves were being translated, and we didn't have to worry about the narration because he was just talking in that speech bubble, and you could tell that like we were being able to understand it. And then we went back to it again. It's like, clearly some of the editing along as this went from issue to issue, like the art shifted hands because some things just don't quite line up. <laughs> yeah. So Fawn comes in, wrecks the, uh, the Raiders with a force field is what they call it. It's kind of a glowing, um, I guess a, a um, kind of an explosion from his body they don't really explain it they just say that uh he, he, the this ain't real the beast is throwing off some kind of force field it's kind of like when uh, uh adam pulls the sword of power and becomes he-man and the and the light that shines away from him when he's doing the i have the power <laughs> it's, well, it's, yeah, it's 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 protecting him <laughs> right he jumps in the air and it's like all you see is like this starburst pattern and it's like with the unstoppable power of a storm the great creature brings a quick end to the conflict <laughs> like what and then of course you know he's still talking in his little speech bubbles the way he is and it's not being transcribed at this moment we get the uh, jedi master doing the han and chewy effect thank you master you have once again demonstrated that a lightsaber is not the only way to win a fight. Why do you call this creature Master? Because he is Master Thon, a very advanced Jedi. But it is not I, but he, who will be your teacher in the ways of the Force. And at that point, he's like sitting up, looking out, pulling a Master Luke, uh, you know, looking out across the valley. And we get the, na the narration, So begins the saga of Nomi Sunrider and her daughter Vima who will both become great Jedi under the tutelage of Master Thon. Dun, dun, dun. So and we shift art. Yeah, this, it's at this point that we get the jump in time. He said, In the months since Nomi Sunrider became the apprentice of Master Thon, the great Jedi has ignored her. And we kind of fix Nomi's hair. Um, as mm. you said, her male pattern baldness. Uh like she has a full head of hair now. Everything like though she did definitely had two weird horn things on her temples. Those are completely gone, and she has um, luscious golden locks. Vima is clearly several years older. This has not been months. This has been right. years because uh, this child is now five, maybe six. Right. That, that's that's why I'm like thinking if she was a short three when we saw her before, you could say she, or a tall three. She's now a short four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and 
it is definitely one of those things when it comes to toddlers. Like I've seen all shapes and sizes. Um, you know, it depends on your parents for one. And then you'll have some parents that are really short and then their kid in their teenage years is just massive. Um, but I mean, I've, I got a, one of my wife's best friends is technically legally a, a dwarf. Um, she's like, like two inches below that line. And her daughter is the same age as my daughter and yet is the same size as my 10 years younger daughter and has been her whole, like she, she was, when she was eight and nine, she looked like she was four, um, just a really tiny girl. So, I mean, it doesn't help when reality of children, <laughs> it doesn't make it easier to pinpoint what age this kid would have been. Like, I wish they kind of would have locked that down. But what I do like about this art style is we do get a flashback to when she was with her husband. And it's clear that the style that they used for the hair and the art is why I don't like the other one. Because in the flashback of this, it's not necessarily male pattern ball. She's got a widow's peak. Like, it's it's there is hair there in the center of her forehead. Whereas in the other one, there wasn't. So I, I definitely like this style of art that's being used from here on out. I think that this is... When I think of this comic, that's the definitive uh, style of the art that I think about. <laughs> but this is also where we see Vima really playing with all the creatures. Like, she's got her own little herd of them around her. Like, she's doing possibly some Jason Solo animal force bending. Yeah, and she's talking. She's apparently talking a lot. So I, I, I must completely forgot because she's, like, talking to her mother and talking about the animals and stuff. So, Yeah. She, she she definitely speaks a lot, so I, I, I missed that part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This, this is th- where the dragons come out, right? Yes, this is the important part of Nomi's education, um, where Vima, scared of nothing, moves over to this evil dark side lake that we had talked about when Nomi first got there. We now return to it where she's playing near the water's edge, and apparently the... Um, Lake is so evil that it has mutated the creatures in the lake. It says, um, Os cautioned Nomi. Oh, Os. Yeah, Os Willem. In fact, the, the panel in front of that gives him his full name. Os Willem said that Master Thom named these waters Lake Nath. Yeah, Os cautioned Nomi that the creatures in the Dark Side Lake have begun to mutate into forms of evil. And that's when we get the kind of Komodo dragon, they call it dragon creature, kind of stalk out of the um, lakes about to eat Vima. And uh, you had pointed this out, the, the, our last recording, um, but I didn't. I had only seen the main one, but there is a second one in the second panel that's starting to come out. Yeah, the blink and the miss it panel. <laughs> And that's where we learn that Nomi has this special skill where she can basically picture future events and that's what will happen. Um, They call it battle meditation. Not at this point, but later when she does it, they call it battle meditation. Um, And she pictures the two dragons fighting each other. And lo and behold, the two dragons fight each other. I mean, honestly, when I think about different force techniques, right? This, to me, is no different than the the mind trick. I mean, I think about Kip Duran and Jaina Solo doing the mind wipes. Um, 
Kip Duran had a way of doing it where he would look at something and, and think of one way. And then when Jaina did it, she would think of like a clock being reversed. And that was how she could do it. Like it all depended on how they came about it. Well, this to me doesn't seem that different. It says concentrating in the force. She forms an image of the two dark side dragons attacking each other. Hmm, that sounds like a suggested. She planted a suggestion with visual imagery instead of audio imagery or, or, you know, using words, you will attack each other. Like to me, it's, it's, it's kind of like splitting hairs to call this a new power. Like I I feel like she's just really, really good at it. (laughs) Yes. Later they'll evolve that power though. I mean, we, we do see it being used on a bigger scale. And in fact, in the high Republic, uh, Avar Chris's ability is very similar to this, only she sees it in the form of song. Everyone's force presence is a song and the force is the great melody and the great harmony of it all. So, I mean, it's always been one of those things like a Jedi's relationship to the force is personal in the aspect of how they're interpreting how they envision it. Um Jax Pavan, for example, would see kind of like scent trails. Um, you know, he would see little ribbons of the force that he could follow. Or you had Voss that could touch things and, and, you know, see the lives of what came before it and stuff. So, like, you know, just the way they would go about things is part of what shifts a, an ability to become a new ability. Because I really don't feel like this ability is that far off from a mind trick, really. No, I definitely agree. It's something, it's basically you're trying to shape events around you regardless if you're doing it purposeful or not. And so we we move on, and Nestor Thon has picturing the future events that knows that his apprentice here will need to actually learn how to become a Jedi as opposed to just this random woman hanging around his house. And so he has decided that her training must begin um, despite her... Uh, he was waiting for her grief over her husband to subside or lessen, or I don't know what he was waiting for. Um, but right. uh, the essentially, yeah, essentially, um, he, he, she must begin training. And at that point, we flip the page and we're in a different story. <laughs> right. What, what also is interesting is, again, while she's by the lake, the lake starts to mess with her. And she immediately, she starts thinking, you know, why didn't that work when Andor was being murdered? I tried, but everything happened so fast. So she's kind of like coming down on herself, which I feel like is, you know, an effect of the dark side. What am I doing on this savage world? And who is this beast who calls himself a Jedi master and claims to keep the dark side prisoner? And then the voices suddenly pierce through her thoughts like dark lightning. The end has begun for you, Nomi Sunrider. The demon Thawne will destroy you. Like your husband, you are going to die. <laughs> like, and it doesn't seem like it's just one voice. Like, it seems like she's being assaulted by a bunch of evil. Well, yeah, that's what the demon lakes do. You didn't know this? <laughs> uh, and this when we get a really cool ship is when we shift pages. Uh, we get the uh, the miners. And this is where it gets really convoluted, too, because... These miners that have this big giant wasp ectoskeleton that they've converted into a ship are about to be attacked by pirates, yet this ship is protected by the same hut who is after the Adagon crystals, who is then going to 
take the pirate that attacked these people and get him to work for him to get the crystals. Like, it just seems like a lot of extra steps that we didn't need. It's essentially eight pages of going, what? Why are we in a different story now? And <laughs> that's it. That's what it is. It's a, he. They're trying to find a roundabout way to get someone to go get the crystals that this hut is still obsessed over, despite losing them twice now. Yeah, I was almost thinking like maybe it was it was the reason why the huts weren't there. But no, I mean, even even when he fails, he goes back to the hut and then they go back with the hut and that guy. It's just like, oh, that it it feels like a total trip that was unneeded. Yeah, that's probably part of the reason I don't like this comic series, because um, this specific arc is because that the this side tangent within the own arc is even less important than the arc itself. <laughs> Right. The pirates, they, they take their little ship. They pierce the abdomen of the, the wasp ship. They open their ship to vacuum, which basically makes their ship like a straw. And as everything from the big ship comes sucking through the straw, as it gets into the middle of the straw, they close both ends. And now, Captain, we're rich. We got it all. <laughs> like, it's, it's an interesting way to rob them. But it doesn't serve anything at this point, aside from the fact that, you know, now the huts are going to have to come and save the people and get all the stuff. And we get to see the huts bigger ship. Uh, I mean, and it's a massive ship. But aside from that, it j it's really all it's really doing is just showing that the huts powerful, which I mean, we've been told that since the moment we saw our very first hut. The assumption yeah. is all huts are powerful. You don't need to, to add more to that. Yeah, and then from here on out, we kind of bounce back and forth between Nomi's story and the Hut's side of the story. Um, again, I, I would be fine if you took out all of the Hut's side of the story, but okay. Um, but we go back to Nomi, and they are greeted by an old friend. Or I don't remember if we called him an old friend because he was kind of a side character in the first two issues. Um, but, uh, oh, I don't Tot Danita. Yep, yeah. Tot. He comes back for two panels, maybe three panels. Um, yeah. And he says... Four, technically. <laughs> yeah. There's a battle with the dark side going on on the other side of the galaxy. You may have remembered it from issues one and two. <laughs> if Thon approves, I'll be fighting next to Master Arka and his apprentices, Ulic Queljoma and his brother Kay and the Twi'lek Jedi, taught. Donita. Dun, dun, dun. And of course, you know, it's just like, it's any time a Boy Scout shows up to NYLT to grab his other friend. Austin's William, pack your lightsaber. We leave immediately for Onderon. Master Thon has agreed to help his friend Master Arca with the Freedom Nod uprising. What's this? Did you just drop the name of the next arc? <gasps> you scallywag. This is where we get Thom's talking with the narration you know he does his and you're like what what did he say i think i heard jedi and of course they give us the narration about it is time of great testing for all of us time to prove the strength of the jedi Nod was a jedi who was seduced by the power of the dark lords of the sith then 
that's really it. Like he doesn't, you know, wish him luck or anything. We just go to narration like, and they finish preparing and bye, they're gone. But they leave Naomi alone, but she's not alone because she's with Thawm. Actually, if you look at um, Thawne's script, especially the second, um, it's they just took out all the vowels. Is that what they're doing? Like, look, it's a Frida Ned is F R apostrophe D N N apostrophe D D, and like, wow, it's almost yeah, and like Jedi is J apostrophe D I. I mean that that works for that S one, but the, but the bubble in front of it, it's like that doesn't make any sense though. <laughs> no, it's like it's like they were trying, and then yeah, but it's almost there. What strength is S G G? <laughs> then we go to uh, one of the Stennis worlds, which is where the huts at. I, I actually I missed it the first time, and then I was rewatching. Like I don't know why I just assumed that these were big giant beasts, but the architecture of the bridges is kind of cool. Like they're these big giant monster alien like things that are holding the bridge with their hands out, but it's almost like they're like using the bridges as plates and they're tipping the plates up towards their mouths to shovel all the food in their mouth real quick. I mean, the, the bridges aren't being lifted, but it kind of gets that same aesthetic. I did not notice those before. Those are kind of cool. Um, it's a it's a random design aesthetic, but yeah. <laughs> I noticed that a lot of the Huttese being used are word for words what we saw in Return of the Jedi. Right. Like when the eyeball comes out of the um, the gate here, it says Daiwanawanga. <laughs> And a lot of like if you like a lot of the Huttese is straight from the movie. It's this is all they know and exactly that that way of saying it. Well, and this is where Boga really looks like Jabba. I mean, his nose looks like, like you could tell me right now that Boga is an ancestor of Jabba, and I would one hundred percent be like that would make a lot more sense because they definitely look alike. Um, like you mentioned, the slave girl uh, has a, an outfit very kind of reminiscent to Leia's. Uh, maybe it's the same one. I mean, like I said, maybe this is all family heirlooms that uh, Jabba ended up earning from his dad. Except now we have the dragon who um, is the same dragon or at least comes from the same planet, which I had wondered if this was such a special lake that was mutating these things why does this uh, hut have a similar um dragon but they do call it out later that it did come from the same planet so, so from the same lake so this is what we were mentioning before is that um boga must have picked one up while he was there right and and again it gets back to back when andor died him saying you know you've got to find this place he should have had the location like the droid honestly the droid should have had the location on him at, at all time and then them following that would have made more sense because you know I, we were sitting here and we were trying to come up with with reasons how he would have known but that is the biggest plot hole i think in the entire comic is how they happen to find her yeah that's that that's uh a hard one. To, that's the hyperspace tracking. That's the only thing that I can think of. And then we go back to Thom, and this is where Thom is like, you know, I can demonstrate that I can have great power and I don't need to use a lightsaber. But know me for you. Well, let's just, you know, take it. You will use Agden crystals to build your first lightsaber. So, like, literally in the middle of his two speech bubbles, he went from talking the way he's been doing to now it's being translated. It's like, he, his, 
his speech bubbles are all over the place, man. It's like the editor didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> yeah. And this is probably one of my biggest problems with this arc is that he insists on her building a lightsaber and learning how to use a lightsaber. Whereas because of her traumatic experience where she basically vivisected several uh, um, henchmen before, she doesn't want to use a lightsaber. Understandably so. He's like, but you must use it. No, I don't want to use it, but you must use it. No, I don't want to use it. I will trick you into using it. Like Mm -hmm. he even said, I was trying to figure out a way to trick you into using it. Something like that. It's like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, just like, you can't, she's already like 30. Like she's beyond the age of normal Jedi uh, training. Can't you figure out something else to like get around the no lightsaber claws? Right. He's over there sitting on a smoking on a hookah. He's got more human features now because he's just sitting up like he's relaxing in a, a lazy boy. He's got his little hookah pipe in mouth and he's just kind of going at it. And and that's where, like you said, she she flat out says, she's like, you yourself, Master Thawne, do not carry a lightsaber. As long as I do not have to use a lightsaber, I will accept your training. We will see. I think it is likely that the lightsaber is your destiny. Come, gather some food, and we will go to the hills. I will show you my beautiful world. Bring your daughter. She, too, is my apprentice. And I think that that's the first time that the readers were clued in on that fact. Like, I mean, like, if you're paying attention, she's been there the entire time. But now he's actually like, no, she's training, too. And I I would say that she is probably going to get the better retention from this training. Because unlike her mom, she's not conflicted. Her mom is very walls up when it comes to certain things. And I think that as we move forward here, the narration and the story itself kind of almost does a disservice by giving Thalm a lightsaber. Because, like, up until this point, you know, he doesn't use a lightsaber. And our assumption is is that because he's a beast, he probably would never use one. But they're showing him using devices now. So when he pulls out a lightsaber later, it does make sense. But I, I kind of feel like it would have been more powerful had we had an example of a Jedi that did not need one. And yeah. the fact Kinda that he like is Yoda. pushing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Because up until this point, we've Yoda never had a lightsaber in, right. in the OT. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's like he's his pushing it just feels so damn off. Like, like, what, you really think that the lightsaber is the only thing to stand up against the darkness? Because that seems to be the big push. She can do it all if she accepts the lightsaber. This does this panel here does have one of my favorite little things stuck into the art, and that's the Ewok, the stuffed Ewok, but with the body like a like kind of a mini elephant, where it has the (laughs) big feet on the bottom. So if you like to put an Ewok onto an elephant body, that's kind of what it looks like. It's the most bizarre looking like teddy bear thing that you could imagine. It. I, I, I just can't help but stare at it and go, what were they thinking? Like, Ewoks don't have that sort of body plan. <laughs> right. Well, it's almost like they actually made the Ewok a bear. Like, so it was designed to stand on all fours in its stuff yes. form. <laughs> that's, that's when you see a picture of an animal and you're like, that's cool. And then you, like, you know, you make it up and then you realize that's not what the T-Rex looks like. Yeah. <laughs> 
So we go to the next day, right? Yes. That's when things get a little uh, time to go. Pack up your stuff. We're uh, we're on the move. Yeah. We jump back to Jabba trying to basically pit the um, the slave raiders, um, kill, killing like apparently or not slave raiders, sorry the the pirates um, that he attacked bef- or that attacked his ships before he was pitting them into his um, beast, uh, what's it called? Like a uh, fighting arena. Gla- yeah. Gladiator arena. Yeah. Gladiator arenas. He basically he's like, he had the leader there and he's like, I'm going to kill one of your henchmen and you are going to do what I ask you. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. And so he kills one of his henchmen. Fine. I'll do it. <laughs> and so this poor sap um, is going to be sent off to try to get the Adigan crystals back. Um, oh, what what is what? This is the um, same species as in A New Hope. The guy who um, calls uh, the Empire and says that they're taking off in the Millennium Falcon. Oh, the the, the Cubes or whatever. Yeah, Q, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the one that plays the, the same thing, that, uh, same animal that plays the flute in uh, the Mandalorian. <laughs> And and his, I love that he talks about himself in third person too. Finhead Stonebone, the lowest of thieves, will do the will of the powerful hearts. <laughs> so we jump back to Nomi now. Yeah, this is where the force stuff gets deep. I mean, and and we're going back and forth with the narration bubbles too, because he keeps going from the. Uh, it is not simply enough to know the light. A Jedi must feel the tension between the two sides of the Force, in himself and in the universe. And then from that narration bubble, we go back to it all being translation, translated in his speech bubbles. The dark side challenges us. It tests us. It forces us to reach beyond ourselves, as you did today when you rescued your child. Os William told me that you chose this world because the dark side dwells here. Yes, there was a great darkness here. I drove it back into this lake. Let's stop now. This is a good spot to rest and eat. And she's, of course, you know, she's still timid. You know, Master, isn't there a safer place to eat? This is where this monster stalked my child. And he's kind of irritated with her. If you wish. My world has many interesting features just over this next hill, in fact. Here, one of my favorite places to meditate on the force. And he comes up to some really cool-looking valley. The Force is deeper than this rift, and a thousand times more mysterious. The Jedi are hungry for an ever greater understanding of the Force. And that word is highlighted, and I think that's a, a key aspect of the Jedi in a lot of their falls. You know, is they, they go in seeking a better understanding of things, and then they get into that dark knowledge that converts and twists them. Uh, he goes on, One of the ways the Jedi learn to know the Force is to use the lightsaber as an instrument of meditation. The lightsaber is not only a weapon of defense. It is important for focusing the mind. A Jedi uses his lightsaber to assist, again bold, his connection to the Force. You, again bold, must construct a lightsaber using the Adagan crystals you have brought me. I mean, so it's like he's trying to explain to her that she can use it as a tool to help her get better focus. And if that was the case, like, yeah, I can get behind that, but that's not... I mean, it, it's again, and he will say it like you had mentioned before, he's manipulating her right now. I mean, he is telling her 
truth, but in a way that he thinks that she can accept it and in a way that'll make it easier for her to accept what he needs to tell her later. Yeah, she even says right after that, I'm sorry, Mr. Thorn, I will do anything you ask, but I want nothing more to do with lightsabers. Bolt on the lightsaber. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we get a cool uh, holocron moment. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. I, I rather enjoyed the holocron moments. I like it because it gives you... They're basically, like I said um, earlier, this is some of your earliest looks because this is even before Golden Age of the Sith and everything um, ever came out. And so we're flashing back to an even older time that um, Tom Veach had kind of been setting up in his own head with Dark Empire and all those other uh, ser ongoing series that were just starting to come out. Right, because in his narration, he talks about it's a very old and good one that has been passed among the masters for thousands of years. I like, too, how we get, you know, a gatekeeper, and he, he doesn't really give us too much about it. He does mention that it's a gatekeeper. He's all, the gatekeeper of this teaching device is a race of beings that evolved from trees on the planet Merkur. Greetings, Jedi. I am Master Ood Banar, at your service. What do you ask of the Holocron? My student and I wish to hear of the ancient time when the Jedi Knights fought the armies of the dark side. And this is where we get a really cool little flashback to, like you said, even farther back. You know, I mean, thousands of years. It is good to know these things and more. The Force is our power and our ally. The Force has always been with us. It is its nature. It surrounds us and penetrates it binds the universe together. Those who become sensitive to its presence can learn how to use it for good or evil. And we get more flashbacks and stuff of different people throughout the times as he goes on. Evil began in a time before recorded history when magicians made themselves into kings and gods using the powers of the dark side of the force. The weak-minded have ever been ready to obey one who welds great power. Those who learned the powers of the dark side were quick to exploit this weakness, to make war. Again and again, the dark side has surged forth like a storm devouring whole worlds and entire star systems. Those who mastered dark power became dark power. They unleashed destruction for no other reason than selfish gain. They would despoil nations, destroyed whole civilizations, some of them. I'm ashamed to say, we're Jedi. And that is another interesting change because, you know, I mean, we've talked about it before, Legends, the whole history of the Sith and everything was so very convoluted, whereas now with the High Republic and canon, it was a test of courage that we've got our first smoking gun, where in canon, the Sith legitimately just evolved from the Jedi. At least whereas at first. in Legends, right, right, right. We, I mean, that's still kind of being fleshed out that could change more as we go. But with legends, it was very convoluted, right? Like, I mean, we, we found out, Oh, there was a safe species. And then when we went even farther back towards the end of legends run with the dawn of the Jedi, when the Jedi were the Jedi, we found out there were Sith species Jedi even. So it was like, you know, we were constantly like learning more and new things about the Sith. Um, and we could still in Canon with what's going on, but I, I, it, it's just an interesting thing. And when you bring in, like you said, the, these plot devices where it gives you an, a, a glimpse into the past, like that's when you can really flesh out a lot of the mythology and a lot of the history 
without having to get too into it. I mean, because it's all part of the plot at this moment. It's like everything he's saying is just pure candy for me. Yeah, and I think I, the um, one of the great things about this uh, this little section here is they have this. I'm gonna say Dark Side Warrior because I don't think they're Sith. Um, Dark Side Warrior who looks like a samurai Darth Vader. Like the, the um, they had come out a while ago with the samurai um, rep- representation of what Darth Vader would look like should he have been a samurai since Darth Vader ar- armor was based on the samurai armor. It was kind of like going back to it. This looks exactly like what that armor looked like. Um, right. And so I, I find that one really cool. It even had like the blade of the lightsaber a little more condensed, less fuzzy. Right. He goes on, which which what he says next kind of gets back to that whole play of the dynamic of the light and the dark. It is not known if civilized beings or Jedi Knights will ever entirely eliminate the dark side in its way. The dark things have been and will be. And I mean, like the idea that they're actually going to try to eliminate the dark side or that they ever could like is just intriguing to me. Yeah. So after that, we, the, the Mesterthon and Nomi are talking, and this is when the pirates return. And Thon says probably the most cringeworthy teacher moment of his entire career. I was wondering how I could trick you into beginning the lightsaber training. It looks like my enemies are about to provide the opportunity. Yeah, that was... That was vicious because, I mean, that he had just given her his lightsaber as a gift, too, <laughs> which is like, oh, OK. And an interesting thing he says, too, it is my own lightsaber with which I trained under my master. Here, take it. It rightfully belongs to my greatest apprentice. Rightfully, huh? Or or is this part of the lies? Like, I mean, like Master Yoda and Obi-Wan, when they're not telling Luke certain truths about Vader, we're again getting that with Nomi. Like, you know, she's things are being misheld from her. <laughs> I don't know necessarily if I can believe what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. And then so the, the pirates land and they attack. Um, Nomi's essentially refusing to fight because she doesn't want to. So Thawne goes in there, but then Thawne refuses to fight because Nomi's refusing to fight. Like he's Thawne's doing nothing. And so they are, the pirates are basically capturing him and dragging him onto the ship. And that is what, um, kind of triggers Nomi into using her battle metal meditation, um, to, well, actually, that's a Thom thing. He He's the one that puts that in her head because he goes, Now, a warrior's test. If you won't use the lightsaber, then use your Jedi power as you did to protect your daughter. And she's like, You're mad. What, what power do I have? I have no power. You're a Jedi master. You protect us. I have to save Vima. Like, she is completely freaking out. Yeah. So, yep. So she actually does that, which I feel like, this whole training thing could have been done a lot better. Like use your powers that are given to you as opposed to me forcing my training regiment on you. Right. And then she doesn't do it. I mean, that's, that's, he he gets very irritated with her. Very well, run away, take your child to safety. At least she will be a great Jedi. If Thawne's apprentice has no power, then neither does Thawne. And that's when he's just like, I'll just walk up and get captured now. (laughs) And we learned through like, 
Yoda and all the Jedi, the Jedi have no belongings, have no anything. Just give them the Attican crystals. Like, what does it really matter? <laughs> like, if you really wanted it, that like, we're, aren't they more important than the lives of his apprentice? Like, just give them the crystals. Right. And that's when uh, some of the Hutt's henchmen and the pirate's henchmen start fighting amongst each other and it all. And that's where I got confused because, like, I didn't know who, why they were fighting. Like, the whole having a pirate working for a hut, pirating for the hut. Like, I was like, who is doing what for why? Like, it became too convoluted from the hut angle. Well, basically, Nomi visualized them starting to fight against each other. So that's why they started to fight against each other. But that's when Nobi walks in with her lightsaber, and now she decides that she needs to use the lightsaber. Dun, dun, dun. She makes her choice. All right, Master Thon, you win. And she goes, like, wading in. And it's kind of funny because she's wearing, like, you know, a, a dress with a midriff and then a, a blouse top. And she's got his giant lightsaber in hand. And they're all, like, storming at her. And she's just, like, running in, just swinging the blade. It's <laughs> like, I'm cutting the grass. <laughs> Basically clearing the way around her. And there's bodies everywhere. Literally bodies everywhere. And the pirates are dumb. Like, they don't even understand what she's doing. They're like, she's trying to free the beast. No, she's after the crystals. She's another Jedi. Kill her. (laughs) Oh, they just don't have a clue. So eventually they give up and they run away. Or what's left of them. Boga, essentially, gives up and runs away. I think I did catch a continuity issue. Uh, in the panel there on uh, 392 of the Omnibus. It says, uh, seconds later, Naomi's lightsaber slices through the Mandalorian manacles, where she frees Thong. Mandalorian manacles should not be able to be cut by lightsabers, right? Like... I, I agree. Yeah, it should be Beskar, which is the point of Beskar, <laughs> is to not be able to be cut. But right, maybe like, they were uh, training maybe, manacles, like, like not real Mandalorians. I mean, I think clearly this was, they wrote Mandalorian manacles before it was established that the Mandalorians had a hand in the purge during the Legends version of things. Because, I mean, that was that was originally where the Mandalorian iron uh, became known, was they had the dungeon ships uh, that they were capturing Jedi and putting them in the dungeon ships and that their Mandalorian Beskar, as it eventually became called, was impervious to the lightsaber. And I want to say it was also impervious to force techniques. Like, he couldn't use the force to bend the metal either. Um, so I think that, like, that was a reference to that, but a lot of that information evolved after the reference. But, yeah, I, I jumped in on that immediately. Like, well, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and so... Basically, that's the end of it. Um, they kind of do a, a quick wrap up and said that uh, Nomi's like, you were helping me. And Thon's like, nope, you did it all yourself. I just set it out because I wanted you to do something, apparently. <laughs> right. No one wants enemies, but enemies can be useful. They force us to reach beyond ourselves to find courage. Uh-huh. I see what you did there, Master Thom. Yeah. <laughs> like you sent them all away with just your light, um, your, your inner light earlier, and now you're just like, oh no, I have to do everything. Right, and then the next day, as they're sitting there that night, the holocron tells me that you will be a great Jedi, but I already knew that. You used your Jedi powers well. I couldn't have done it without you, Master Thon. I felt an added strength of the Force much greater than before. 
I'm sure you were doing something to help me. I did nothing. I left you entirely to your own devices. <laughs> so this is what I, I, I think is an interesting in, in the light of the High Republic and the titles they use. I find this is a very interesting ending to it in the narration here. A decision made, a battle joined, with no recourse except courage, and no choice except a life that is beckoning from the future. Nomi Sunrider knows the future will not be easy. Indeed, it will be a time of great unknowns and great struggles against the very darkness that would snuff out the light of the Jedi. Dun, dun, dun. I can't even say I see what you did there, because... Well, I guess I can't. I can see what you did there, Disney canon. I see what you did. <laughs> so this also brings up an interesting point that I was not aware of um, before we had started this series. Is somebody on our uh, Facebook page had mentioned that um, basically Lucasfilm got banned from using the name Nomi Sunrider. Yes. Yes. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I've thought about that off and on. There was going to be a, a Nami Sunrider book, and I, I when they originally first announced it, that was how they had mentioned it, the Nomi Sunrider book. And then that controversy came up. Then it was changed to, and I'm probably not going to be saying the word right because I'm trying to remember how it was spelled. It was like Mandala or something like that. Uh, it was like some kind of special either ability or a special type of force device or something. Uh, and that was the new name of the book. And it was one of those stories that when Disney sold, you know, it never really got too far, but it was one of the ones that they had talked about. They'd given us the new title for it, told us that it was going to be a, a Nami Sunrider book. And then there was all that controversy surrounding it. And we were like, what's going to happen? And then Disney bought it and legends got shelved. And so like, you know, that was one of the many projects that had a name and we knew some things about it. But not a whole lot. Like, you know, we had uh, Sword of the Jedi was going to be about Jaina. We knew Paul S. Kemp had an unnamed duology that we were like, well, that's got to be about Jaden Kors since that book series ended literally in the middle of, you know, a major event for that character. Yeah. And like the I, it was really hard to find any information about the, the Sunrider stuff because it's basically just if you're not in Lucasfilm, they don't talk about it. It's one of those like... Apparently, some company has a copyright on the name Sunrider, and we're battling against Lucasfilm from using that name. And that's about all I know. And so it kind of kills the name of the character being used in marketing materials of that sort of thing. And her character itself just kind of fades into the background. Probably a lot of the reasons because of that. Right. And, and what's weird, too, is the word was uh, Mandala, and they've actually reused it for the High Republic in Light of the Jedi. Now in canon, a Mandala was a type of complex knot which could be worn as a hairstyle. The creation of the Mandala could be used as an aid to focus. Jedi Master Avar Chris telekinetically pulled her hair into a Mandala while preparing to call on the Force to save the Hetzel system. Um yeah, they don't have, they don't even mention the, like, it's only got a canon source. They don't even talk about what was supposed to be from that in Legends. Because now I'm like, okay, I remember the book. I remember, like, I don't think they ever showed us a cover for it. 
But I remember that that was the title they were going to use for it, but there's nothing, no reference. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to stay off Wikipedia right now because the last time I was on Wikipedia is the reason that we had to re-record this episode. (laughs) 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 Is it completely crashed my entire computer. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing right now. (laughs) (sighs) Yes. Um, Well, let's see here. Let's do our follow-up. Should it be brought into canon? Um... Man, I you know, I'm gonna say no. Um, I I think you could, you know, like we said in the spoiler free part. I just don't see what value this story is going to bring to canon, um, and that I think is my main thing. Like, there's a part of me that wants to see as many names or characters and events cross over, and I'm okay with them being reimagined. Um, and I think that that's what I would do if I was to do Naomi Sunrider coming into canon. I, I think I would restart. Her. Um, but then again, uh, Avar Chris does kind of have a lot of Naomi Sunrider's traits. So maybe that's kind of where they went with that. Um, what would need to be changed? Nothing. You would just, you know, leave this in the time frame that it's at and you just drop it in there. Um, I think I'm still going to stick with it being a five for my rating because you know like i said in the spoiler free part it doesn't do a lot in the bombastic um so much of the story it's it's putting it all out there but there's really so little narrative outside the dialogue to drive it so a lot of this info for this era outside these comics i feel like it mostly came from the source books and rpg materials um say so you could have had a lot more of that brought into here i felt like the narration especially was just lacking like, you know, when you're doing an accessible comic that is new era, that's the best time to really lean on the narrative uh, to kind of set things up. And they did. They just they just really didn't go into it as deep as I would have liked. They did use an excessive amount of exposition, but it felt like it was pointless exposition as opposed to, <laughs> like, something to better the story with. There's a lot of reading, but I don't know if the story was made any better because of it. Like, if would I bring this into canon? And I agree with you. I don't think so. I think I, a reimagined version of this would be awesome. Get rid of that stupid hut storyline. Um, you can still have her going to meet Thawne and have this dark side. Do something with the dark side of the planet as opposed to the hut. And have her um, training kind of take place there. You could even have him, Thawne being a terrible master and trying to push her to use the lightsaber like something like mix something in like that i just like i said get rid of the hut storyline 100 percent, and do something different um with the remaining parts of this story and remix it so i think it could be brought in i don't think it should be brought in as it is and i still stick yeah i i may even lower it i completely forgot about the the like nearly half of the last two-thirds of the book is all from the Hutt's perspective of him trying to manipulate people to go get um, the Attigan crystals, which still, I don't see this being a big deal. <laughs> like the couple of crystals, like, yes, I'm sure they're worth a lot of money, but isn't there other things you could be better spending your time trying to steal? <laughs> right. Like, like you could have had the narration or even Thawne or even Oss. 
be like, oh, Adigan crystals, these are very rare. Like the lightsaber you can have with this could cut through another lightsaber. Or these are really prized outside of just the Jedi. Like art collectors use these to, to power some kind of mining crystal. You know, like any of a thousand different ways they could have gone about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I probably should lower mine to a four for the same reason, honestly. But I'm going to stick with five because I already said it. Um, covers this one. There was only three real issues, uh, added to it. So there's only three issues to choose from, um, three, of five, four of five and five of five. Cause the first two were the, uh, beast wars runs, correct? Uh, the first two were the beast wars of Andoran. Yeah. All right. I just want to make sure before we went into that, I wasn't lying. Uh, the first one, of course, being three of five. This one I think is probably my favorite of all of them. It's the... It's probably the most pronounced moment of this whole comic. Like the the most important element of it is the fact that a Jedi died and his wife picks up the lightsaber to defend their child. Um, and that's basically what you get. You've got him laying down. His arms are, you know, in two different directions, kind of indicating he's not sleeping. And his lightsaber is active. <laughs> Typically, you don't leave your lightsaber on when you are sleeping. But I'm not gonna. Right. I'm not gonna nitpick your critique here. <laughs> right, his hands reaching for the lightsaber, and her hand like it, it almost looks like she's cuddling his head, but she's reaching for the lightsaber. She's got Vima in her right hand, her left hand's reaching for it, and she's looking up at the attackers. I, I just like this one just it personifies so much about everything that's going on that that's probably hands down my favorite. The next one is the hut. Um, and the hut is even more Jabba than ever. Like they might as well have just taken a still from return of the Jedi and just copied him. Like even his hookah is Jabba's hookah. Like, I don't even think that's the hookah they used in the comic. That's just straight up Jabba's from return of the Jedi. And they have and a the, great, uh, and they have a great on the cover like Jabba. Oh, Oh my god, I missed that. Oh jeez, yes. Uh, the beast is more alligator-like with like light coming out of its mouth. And we see the Cubez uh, pirate guy kind of cowering for his life. And it looks like he's got chains attached to his wrists. So it's that moment. Uh, but I just I don't find anything really spectacular about it. I mean, it, it, it's just like, yeah, there's, there's huts and there's people being, you know, tortured by huts. Uh, the five of five is probably our most action packed. Uh, I don't really care for how Naomi looks in it. She looks a little weird. She looks and... like they tried to do her hair with the, not how she was pictured in the, like the flash forward part of the comic where her hair was like the, the, the full, but they tried to like make it longer, but still with those weird temple horns. It's, it's almost like they took the second art style flashback of the first art styles hairdo and then went and took it another step forward. <laughs> yeah. Cause it definitely, yeah, it definitely is different. She looks so she looks bulky. Like she looks like she has been training to fight her whole life in this. Like, and she has a cape. That's on. not how she looks. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and her shirt's different than how it was. Pr- I mean, everything about this isn't exactly how it looks in the comic. Um, Thon is right there at her side, whereas, like, in the comic, he's kind of, like, staying back. But he's also and the weird. And rushing after her. He looks weird in this one, too. Like, he doesn't look anything like he did in the comic. He looks more wolf, honestly. Like, his jaw looks, like, his lower jaw looks like it's got, like, a beard on it, and his teeth look more wolf-like. The top part of his head, I would argue, has the same 
stylization of Thawne enough that you realize that it is him. But yeah, that from the nose down, that's drawn totally different. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say the first one of the three of five is my favorite. Um, that would be the one that I would put as the cover if I were to do this as its own little arc. But of course, when they did it as the arc, they tied this in with the Beast Wars and Yulik gets the cover. Um, I kind of think that makes sense because in the long and short of it all, it probably is more Yulik's story than any other central character. Yeah, I would say three of five is the best of, of the lot. Um, I agree with you 100%. And that's even on the omnibus. That's the cover that they put in front of this little break for the saga of Nomi Sunrider because it is her oh, yeah. kickoff um, to the uh, to her her the rest of her life, essentially. And they even talked about that in the series. Is like, you've now gone beyond... Um, your past life, you need to walk forward into your next life. Right. I mean, and her husband was saying that from the start too. It's like, you know, that is definitely being driven into your face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm just looking to see if there was anything else on that, uh, mandala book. God, that really, really thought I'd find something on it. That, there's not there's nothing out there like i looked I, there's not much on any of the controversy or anything like that um i i remember i looked when we were doing when we first started i think the the, the beast wars when i was looking and i couldn't find anything right nuts man because yeah like i still remember i want to say the forums were still going when they first announced it um, and then the forums shut down when they changed the title of it. Cause at first it was announced as the Naomi, uh, Naomi Sunrider book. And then they came forward and were like, it's got a new title and it's this. And we're all like, why is it that? And that's when the controversy hit, <laughs> or should I say that's when the controversy became known. <laughs> hmm. Well, Jim, I think uh, that about wraps us up. Unless you had anything else you wanted to touch on before we move out. Uh, no, I think I hit uh, hit everything that I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, as well as Spotify and on iTunes. And as always, we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you, fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions or comments about past episodes, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention to you our sponsor, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what it's all about. 
Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars universe, the Legends universe, Harry Potter, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Jim. Whistler, quiet. I'm talking. Say, I know, you little turd. Shut up! <laughs> I made the force be with you. Don't quote us the odds. That we'll see Nomi come back again in anything. Right. Because she's become the pariah of, uh, of Lucasfilm, apparently. Right, and I mean, how hard would it have been to make her remarry? I mean, what are the odds of that? Like, maybe she's Naomi Skywalker now. Yeah. I did find, um, <laughs> while you were talking, the book Mandorla, Mandorla is what the name of the title was. And um, that's the reason Bastilla Shan was created for the Knights of the Old Republic video game is because they could not use her um, because of her <sighs> last name. That's where. Okay. All right. There we getting some of it. I, 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 yeah. Okay. So Bastila Sean was supposed to be Nomi, but because of that controversy, she became a different character. But that still doesn't t- touch on that book because there was supposed to have been a book. And the book was supposed to come out in like 2008. You're right. And it was a lot after Knights of the Old Republic even came out. So why would they even attempt that? So regardless... I don't know. That's all I know. The more you know, the less you really know in terms of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jim, that worked out, man. Like I was, I was, you know, anytime you have to go back and, and re-record when you've got like an hour plus of stuff, you're like, is it going to be as good? I hope so. Like, you know, but you know, you and I, we do really well together. So that worked out. That worked out great. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was good. We do. Um, I think we, we, um, what's it called? We, uh, complement each other really well. Mm-hmm. It, it helps to have somebody that's got a firm grasp on the timeline because when it comes to numbers, I'm like, ah, oh, what was that? What's that? Because like even the Kotor, like I, I firmly in my mind when I think of the date on that, like I think three three and two other numbers. <laughs> I'm way off, man. <laughs> test test. All right, no, audacity recording. Okay, so I'm good. There. That's both going. Show notes. Up. I can't hear you. Ruh row. Am I muted? No. No, my my uh, <laughs> Yeah, you, you had to pull the Chewbacca. <laughs> What's that, Chewy? Over there on the left. <laughs> I always love that one book where Han gets captured and Chewy and and uh, Waru and a couple other Wookies of his family go to bust him out, and all of their uh, conversation is transcribed from Wishrit or Shirut. She rook. She rook. Wookies. Wookies. I think that's just multiple Wookies. <laughs> right? Oh man, I was I was hoping they were gonna go Loki for the uh, two Loki. Instead, they went just Loki. I'm like, oh, missed an opportunity oh. there. Could have been like, they're like octopi. That's <coughs> he's dead now. Mm-hmm. But is he? Right. 
We'll trade a Wookiee for the lives of three heroes. Dun, dun, dun. All right. I'm excited, Jim. We're going <laughs> to nail this one to the wall, buddy. Take two. Take two. Dude, and I was looking at that audio file, too. We were an hour into that sucker when everything fell apart. I'm like, oh, man, so much good conversation. <laughs> <sighs> but it's, it's kind of fitting, though, because, like, when Nate and I first started Beyond the Films, there were a lot of times when, <laughs> when Skype would let us down. We're like, no, we got to do that all again. There was one episode we recorded three times. I was like, oh, oh my God, do we really want to? <laughs> but we had to. <laughs> now just skip on to the next one. It's like, if you didn't listen to our uh, previous episode, it's because we got done trying to record it. Right. <laughs> Man, we just said, forget this. This noise is out of here. Okay. All right, my book is ready. I believe my co-host is ready. I am ready. Whistler is ready. I'm surprised Whistler... I'm your your co-host, so I know you're talking about me. That's true, that's true. Yeah, Whistler, I'm surprised he's holding on. Like, those are the same batteries that he's had since I started Star Wars Report. Like, those have got to be. Like, if I could take that screw off. I'm sure there's battery acid all over the inside of that. <laughs> it's be, it's being powered by hate. <laughs> oh, yes. It's 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 like the uh, concept of R2. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. I shouldn't have had a Dutch Brothers this morning. <coughs> Way too flemmy now. <coughs> I feel I could I could do a Balrog voice real good. <clears throat> Slimy. Slimy gets satisfying. I'm sorry, busting up the spray. I gotta I gotta cut through the dairy of the Dutch bro. Okay. Did they have Dutch brothers over in Utah? No. I don't know what that is. Haven't got that far. It's a it's a uh, basically Starbucks that that started in Grants Pass. It's slowly working its way across the country. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Utah. We had a couple of things that exploded out. Crumble started in uh, Utah. Oh, okay. That was a local. That was a local cookie thing, and now they're everywhere. Nice. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yes. Okay. Or no? Uh, I don't know. I think I think I'm good. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Whenever you're I'm ready. I'm gonna punch it, Chewy. Welcome to episode 259 of Star Wars. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments about our past episodes, you can talk to Jim and I. Let me restart that. Let me... Uh, 